0: teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at house church. We're glad you're listening. But when I was in my, my, uh, early twenties, I had a radical encounter with Jesus. He just like changed my life. Like over literally overnight, my life changed. And the first book that I, that I read, um, I opened up my Bible. I was like, man, these things are super long. Like I was like, I'll read the Bible. And I was like, dude, this thing is so long. Maybe I'll start somewhere easier and I flipped to James. I'm like, oh, it's only five chapters. Perfect. I should have flipped to Jude because it's shorter, but regardless, um, I remember reading James and just like my, my life just felt like God connected with me really deeply. Um, my, my first like AOL, if you guys remember America online, like Carter Bennett, like our rise students, you guys have no clue what America online is. It's okay. But most of you other folks do. It was like the first Google. Okay. Uh, Probably better. Does anyone still have an AOL email address? That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, but I, I was so I was so moved by that book, and I was like start, starting my whole like AOL account. I was like my boy James, because like just the the way that that book just challenged me. It was like throwing Miracle Grow on my soul, um, and it just really shaped a lot of like how I think about what it means to be a Christian, and so. I feel really humbled and excited that we get to start a new year together, uh, reading, uh, not just reading, but hopefully practicing what James is encouraging this church in. So before we jump into James, and again, I, I, Dennis, I really appreciate, sometimes it's hard, I think, when, we, when we're part of a community for so long, we can forget how special the community is. Like, um, I feel like every sitcom right now, and of all time, basically lives off of this idea of like, you know, marriages kind of grow sour because they just forget how amazing it is. And there's this big turmoil and then everything kind of turns around and gets better. But like, what if we were people that actually just continue to be reminded of how good God is and how unique this community is? And so I really appreciate those words, Dennis. And, um, it made me like (laughs) really excited in my soul because I, I think it reminded me how blessed we are to have this beautiful community. It's weird. It's quirky. And God is using it and is continuing to use it. Okay, James. Um, I think I've got a slide coming up here. Just some background information. Um, So James is interesting. Like James isn't James's real name. That's his English substitution. His real name's Jacob. Like that's what the scholars believe. And so it's interesting. Like Jesus had two brothers, Jacob and Jude or short for Judah. So it's sort of an interesting idea playing on, like, the early, you know, uh, you think of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, you think of Judah as this really important figure in the Old Testament. So there's something unique there. But James is Jesus's brother. Um, That's the first selfie that we found from his Instagram account many years ago. Um, That was before all the filters, but it... um, he was, he was Jesus' brother. You can read about him in Acts chapter 12, 15, 21. Really in the book of Acts, he's like a pretty central character. Um, he is martyred in AD 62. And so one of the, this is kind of how that happened. One of his nicknames was James the Just. Uh, and he doesn't mix words. And we'll get into that as we're reading the book of James. Like he's, he's, he's a very straight shooter. He's not pulling any punches. He's not making things very ethereal. He's just saying like, hey, if you're rich, don't be mean to poor people. It's like, well, what do you mean? That's what I mean. So I, I appreciate how he's just super, super practical. But he's James the Just. And he has this passion and longing and care. And this seems to be something that followed him for his his life. Uh, his care for the poor, the widows, the orphans. Um, he was really kind of like almost one of your first... Uh, fighters of injustice, as we see. And the story goes that the respected believers and non-believers in the city of Jerusalem, like, looked up to James. There was something about the way he shaped and lived his life that they just said, this guy is doing something really unique. Um, but that also got him in trouble. Uh, when Festus died, he was the, 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 the pro-council, uh, pro counselor, something like that. I can't remember the exact word. Johnny is, he could probably get me help um, but anyways, that, uh, when, when Festus passed away, um, the high priest Aeneas jumped into leadership and he put James to death because he was so tired of James's radical obedience about following Jesus, taking care of the poor and doing some of these things. And so the people in Jerusalem got really ticked off when he put James to death because James was like a real light spot in the community. So it's just interesting to think about this guy, um, it's written to the to the diaspora or the dispersed church and so that's really unique to the setting like a lot of times when we read the letters in the bible so like after the gospels and after the book of acts we see these letters and these letters are written to places like renew or you know places like um fairview or pl- places like philadelphia and Norristown, and so these letters are really specific but james's letter is written to uh, the scattered believers and so it's, it's really fascinating because already early on, like, so this, most people place this book written around 50 AD. So in the first 20 years of the church, it's already dispersed. Like it's all, it's, it's all over, it's gone viral. Um, and that's pretty impressive. But it's also like when we hear the word dispersed, it has a, a lot bigger meaning than just people spread out all over. It, it begs to ask a question like, well, how, like, why are they dispersed? And so we have to understand, like they're dispersed because of uh, they're dispersed because of, of the exile, like many, 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 many years ago, uh, when Babylon came in and kicked everybody out, took them all back home. Uh, some people never actually went back to Jerusalem, and they kind of spread around. So somehow the gospel is making it into these little Jewish communities, and their lives are being changed by Jesus. Um, It's also spread because of the persecution that we read um, in the book of Acts. And, you know, the church kind of stays put. Jesus' original command is, hey, I want you guys to, to take this message to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the end of the world. Like this message goes out and the church got super excited and they stayed in Jerusalem. And then persecution came and then we see the dispersion happen. So people started to move. And where they left, where they went, the church started uh, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, like, hey, we're going to send Dennis and Claudia to Portugal to be part of a church. It's like they were Christians going to Portugal saying, we're the church. We're going to see how this thing started. So the church was never a building. And we need to, like, continue to remember that, especially as people that are part of a community like we're new. We've never been about building. We, we've met in buildings, but it's about the people. So we also have to understand that the diaspora or the dispersed church also has this mindset And a mindset for a dispersed person is that this kingdom or this place where we live, it's not home. Like, this isn't where I should be comfortable. Like, I'm called to live here. And we see this idea of, like, the church living as exiles or living as strangers or living in the wilderness. Like, um, Peter, in his epistles, really brings that home. He says, "I I beg you to live as strangers and aliens among the land. Like, bless people. It kicks them all the way back to this, even the imagery of Abraham, the first kind of interaction we the first interaction we see between God and Abraham is, I'm going to bless you to bless the world. And so we don't do that by just staying put. The church doesn't do that, but just but by spreading its wings and by living as different folks in the places where they are. And so this is the context of the church. Uh, now, that we are dispersed people. We don't have a central location. We're part of one body with many zip codes. Uh, this is why I think even the idea of our house churches is really unique because it actually situates us to say, hey, the house church in Lansdale, the house church that meets on Weichel Road, you know, the house church that meets at the highs, the house church that, you know, is hanging out at the Balecki's house, the house church uh, that blah, blah, blah. So I love that because it kind of bakes into even our own DNA, this idea of like, yeah, we're, we're like, sort of a gathered people, but we're also all over the place. And so that means wherever we are, the church is with us because the church is, the, is, is God's embodiment, like present. And so I appreciated as we, the other thing too, that I think is, I don't, can you go back to that slide one more time? I feel like I've missed something there. Uh, yeah, you're good. Hold on. Nope. There you go. Um, it really echoes the Sermon on the Mount. Like I feel uh, if, if you're thinking about uh, pairing a, a good food with a good wine, um, James and the Sermon on the Mount would be a really good pairing, like uh, really, really solid. So if, if you are interested in kind of diving into these two things, I think this would be helpful. And then the last thing is this, uh, and then I'm going to jump into a couple other things. But um, James is, he, he's, he's, he's sensing the church is in some trouble. And so a lot of what he's doing is challenging people back to their identity and how their identity is something that is lived out. It's not just an idea. It's, it's a practical way of living and being. And so we have to understand that that's such an important part of what he is doing. And I love what one commentator says. He says, so James is taking all these different things and he's responding to the troubles that he sees in the church in three ways, a call to wisdom, a call to faith, and a call to patient endurance. And I can't think of more pointed words for renew, for us, for me, for the church at large, than these three words in the season where we're living in now. Let me read those again. A call to wisdom, a call to faith, and a call to patient endurance. And so we're not just going to be readers, and I'm going to jump into some of the things that we're going to be looking at uh, this particular week, but I want us to also see this time that we have together as a community as an invitation for the Spirit to speak, for the Spirit to convict, to heal, to transform us in our faith, in our wisdom, in our patient endurance, in our love for our neighbors, our love for our friends. Um, and so, why James for Renew? And so, in my thinking, there there are like a thousand reasons. Uh, a, it's short. I think five weeks. You know, having five Sundays to be able to do this is really great. Um, I think it's deeply practical. It's convicting. It's challenging. It's really earthy. Uh, it's it's just something that really calls us to action. And it feels right for the church in the season where we're in with the pandemic. But mainly, I think it comes to James one twenty-two, And this is, this is what I want to talk about today. So if anyone has their Bible, open up to James one twenty-two and just read that, that passage for me. Even if I have like a couple different translations, I think that'd be helpful for us. Or pull out your phones, wherever your Bible is at. Do not merely listen to the words and deceive yourself, but do what it says. Does anyone else have a different translation? Was that the message? No. That was NIV. Okay. Man, someone's going to slap me for that. Go ahead. So this is why I'm stoked to read the book of James. Because James is really a call to discipleship. And like, this is how we really define discipleship. We don't want to just people that show up on Sundays and do a church thing. Um, but we want to be people that hear what God is saying and make movements towards what he's asking us to do and what, who he's asking us to become. Now, I, I want to hit the pause button and say this is like hard, lifelong work. And so I wanted to find discipleship a bit. And if you've hung out with Renew uh, for, for a few years or if you're brand new with us, we, we talk about discipleship a lot. Uh, every year we've, we've done this thing called men's discipleship. We've done women's discipleship. Um, discipleship is key. And so Alan Hirsch says this, there's a quote. There we go. Hold on, not that one. There we go. He says this, discipleship is the irreplaceable and lifelong task of becoming like Jesus by embodying his message. So let me read that one more time. It's the irreplaceable and lifelong task of becoming like Jesus by embodying his message. And so what it means is we don't want to just be hearers, but we want to do the things that we sense God is calling us to. It's about looking at the person of Jesus and saying, that's who I long to be like. That is where my heart's desire. And even when my heart's desire isn't to be that way, then that's also a call to discipleship because it's Lord help my heart be shifted in that direction. A couple other things, and this is by a guy named Lance Ford, and I think this is so important for us as we're jumping into this book. He says, if you have a church, you might have disciples, but if you make disciples, you will always have the church. I want to read that again, because I think this is pointed. If you have a church, you might have disciples, but if you make disciples, you will always have the church. That's by a gentleman by the name of Lance Ford. Uh, one of Renew's heroes, a gentleman by the name of Eugene Peterson, calls, says discipleship is a group of people who are attempting to pay attention to God and respond appropriately. And so we have summed up discipleship um, in, in our community over the years, really in, in two questions. And I'm going to put Dave Belecki on the spot to tell me those two questions. What are you hearing from God? What are you going to do about it? And so James, James, this is James, because we're going to hear a lot from God. And I sense that there's going to be times where, like, it's overwhelming. But what are you hearing from God, and what are you going to do about it? Thank you, Dave. Nice job. Because if, if, you, if you miss that one, man, we'd have to put you back to T-ball. Um, <clears throat> a couple of days ago, I was talking with my dad. Uh, he just turned 71. And I said, Dad, I just want to get your, catch your advice on something. I said, you know, I'm 40, 42, and I'm trying to figure out, like, how do, I, how do I have a faith that's like yours into your 70s? And he goes, Doug, it's really, really simple. He said, read your Bible. Uh, you know, like, I think I was waiting for, like, my dad was a football coach. I was waiting for some real big, like, you know, speech, you know, get out there, do something. And he just said, read your Bible. And, he, and this is what he said. He said, you can't grow if you're not hearing from God. So that is what, if that's what you're practicing, if that's what we are practicing, then you're going to, you're going to see the fruit of that. And he said, uh, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say that that's not something that I practiced in my forties. He said, that's really not something that I practice on a daily basis until I retired. And I was so moved by like, A, the honesty, but even B, his reflection of being retired for the last seven years. And him and my mom read through the Bible like two or three times a year. They're just constantly reading the scripture. And what's amazing is like, they're practicing the scripture at McDonald's. Um, They have, they go to McDonald's, this is... (laughs) Anyways, they go to McDonald's every morning for breakfast because my mom and dad have this little app that gets like everything that they need for like three bucks. And they're like, you can't beat it. We can't make these things. Now, whether the health benefits are as good as my mom says or not, I'm not sure. I hope she never listens to this teaching. Um, <laughs> but I think what's amazing is they have fallen in love with the men and women who serve them every day. Uh, this past summer, They got invited to a birthday party for one of the coworkers, they call her Smiley because she's always smiling. Um, their, Their little son, who has extreme autism and has just been through a lot of difficulty in his life, was turning seven. And my parents got invited. And my dad said, son, I felt like I was at, like just, it felt like I was sitting around heaven. He said, it probably looked a little bit more like a Willie Nelson concert. But he said, what was so cool is we realize that even in our getting breakfast every morning, like we became doers of the, Like we're doing what God has asked us to do. And so I think James would write the letter to those who are going to McDonald's tomorrow. Those who are heading to the post office to pick up their mail. Uh, those who work at a building with uh, people who are doing the things behind the scenes that no one sees. Those who are pushed off to the margins in the side. Because Jesus is really interested in us not having really big heads, but like super big hearts and really calloused hands. Because I think that's what he longs for. Like, I think he longs for his kids to be people that are like, yeah, God, what do you like? What what are we supposed to do? Okay, let's try it. Let's do it. I think the worst the worst case scenarios you'll get laughed at, but I think the best case scenario is you'll get invited to a birthday party for someone that you never thought in a million years that you'd be invited as a person of honor to a birthday party because you stop every morning and just love on this person and pray for this person and continue in that way. So we're going to do the stuff instead of just me talking about James. So we're going to look at the first chapter. And so for James, this faith in Jesus must impact all of that we do in life. Uh, Paula Darcy said this, God comes to us disguised in this thing called life. And I think that that is such an important thing because formation and the way that God works, he really wants to be invested in all of the parts of our life, not just one or two, not just what we're doing here. He's invested in all of it, like all of it. And he's a good God who's walking with us and transforming us. So we're going to read chapter one. Can you put those two questions back up, Kylie, that I had? One more. There you go. Um, we're going to read James chapter one. We're going to get into groups of three or four. And we're just going to play with these two questions for about 15 minutes. Now, this is where it gets tricky. I, I had a reader who was ready to go, but they could not make it today. Can I have a volunteer to read James one, the whole thing? Thank you very much. Can I give you the microphone? Is that a, I can't walk in front of these because it might do something crazy. I'll have to have you come up here and then I'll hand you the microphone. So as we're listening to the passage, I want us to hear, have these two questions in our in the back of our minds, and um, then we're going to get into groups and spend about fifteen minutes, ten minutes talking about these questions. James,
1: chapter one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother, in humble circumstances, ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a flower." But the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, give birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep
0: oneself from being polluted by the world. Thank you so much, Cindy. All right, we are going to go ahead and take, um, we'll say seven minutes. So hop in groups of like four people, four or five, and just sit with these two questions. I realize it feels like I'm forcing you to like, what did you hear from God? And so maybe it was just what part kind of pulled your heart? or what felt convicting, or what felt like it was something that I needed to hear this morning. Go ahead. So some of us might be feeling um, this temptation in this season to try harder. That is not who we are. This is not about trying harder. This is about having an opportunity to invite the Spirit into the everyday, ordinary spaces of our life to transform us into the people he calls us to be. I wanna remind us back early, the definition of discipleship is about a lifelong process. But I also wanna remind us that it's like this beautiful picture of of collaboration. It's not Jesus, take the wheel. It's Jesus, let's drive this together. It's Jesus, can I sit on your lap? You work the gas, I'll, I'll steer. It's about collaboration. Like, I think Christian maturity is when God speaks and we say, okay, God, let me try. Let me join in with you in the renewal of all things. I mean, that's part of who we are as a community. So this is not about trying harder, but this is about when something convicts us to lean in and say, God, why is that convicting my heart? Maybe there's sin there. I mean, we've heard the stories about the amount of addiction that's been on the rise since the pandemic began. Like we hear the stories about, you know, the stuff that's going on underneath the surface, but it's, it's not about fix it, fix it, fix it. It's about lean into it and say, God, like, what are you trying to reveal? In me? Do I need to confess? Do I need to make something right? Like what's happening? But we need to realize God isn't sitting here with an iron fist, ruling this over. He's inviting you into new life. And that invitation means that we take a step and we walk with Christ. And that's an important distinction. And so if you're walking away from this little exercise feeling like, man, I stink at life, that's the best good news. That's the, that's the best bad news that there is because in a few minutes we're about to go to the table where we're reminded that it's not because of us, but it's because of what Christ did that our whole lives are changed and transformed. And so even as we look at the works of what God is asking us to partner with him, as, as we read about what true religion is, may we be reminded that Jesus loves us, that he cares us, that he calls us, and he's with us wherever we are, whether we're in this radical obedience or this radical disobedience. He is in the process of willing and able and ready to work with us in the transformation of our souls. That's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.